Troy, we're back at you. Hour two. It's already getting dark. What's going on? Oh, that's right. We turned the clocks back an hour. I guess they're uh, looking to turn the clocks back at least a couple of years in the U.S. of A. tomorrow with the midterms coming. <laughs> Boy, talk about a storm warning. Uh, dark clouds on the horizon, for sure. Uh, not necessarily because the projections say, uh, most anyway, that the House will revert to the Dems. It's just that there's going to be a clash going forward uh, between the executive branch. This is, of course, Donald Trump in the Oval Office and then the House of Representatives that would be led by Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters from uh, she's out there in California would be, I guess, in charge of the financial committee, the finance committee in the House. Uh, Oh, we're, we're about to enter even more interesting times if this comes to pass. But let's find out what it all says and uh, the implications for us here in Canada as well. Before we get to our panel and topics worthy of discussion, Reggie Cicchini has joined us on the line from Washington. He's a Washington bureau producer with Global National. Reggie, how you doing? Afternoon, John. (laughs) I guess these are heady days indeed. Pretty exciting, though isn't it? Uh, it is. I mean, this is a midterm election that uh, for the first time in, in almost decades now, people are actually paying attention to it. There's a lot of voter enthusiasm on both sides. And, you know, tomorrow's going to be a big deal. And on Wednesday, we could actually see a shift in how things work politically down here. I guess the advanced polls are maybe a signal that there are a lot of people very, very interested and mobilized for this, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, we're looking at numbers that are on the plus side of 30 million advanced ballots cast. And that's a big deal, because if you look at uh, midterm elections four years ago, eight years ago, 12 years ago, sometimes we get total election numbers that are only 30 million or just under 30 million. So to have this kind of number leading up to the big day, uh, it shows that there's a lot of people out there that either want things to say the same or they want things to change. We don't know if that number is going to kind of cannibalize things on Tuesday and whether fewer people will come out or whether it's just going to increase that number. But like we said, there's a lot of people out there that are really interested in how things are looking right now. You know, some pundits have actually said this is really all uh, boiled down to its essence, a plebiscite on Trump. Absolutely. And the president himself has said, look, this I'm not on the ballot right now. You can't uh, mark an X for me. But this election is all about me. He's trying to say, look at what I've done to the economy over two years. Look at what I've done for trade over the last two years. Look at how I've been trying to deal with health care, although that's kind of fallen out of the spotlight right now. Look how I'm dealing with immigration right now. He and the Republicans are trying to push that message across to say Republicans are doing a decent job right now. Flip side, though, Democrats are going to say, look, this is an indictment of Donald Trump. Things haven't gone as well as he said. Uh, Things are going to get worse if we keep him in place. So uh, the the election definitely is about Donald Trump. It just depends on what view you're looking at. Well, they say the implications, too, and let's just uh, deconstruct some of these here uh, and list them because, you know, the Dems have promised they've been rattling. Certainly, uh, you know, the the base or the hard left in the uh, Democrat Party are talking about impeachment of Donald Trump and uh, with the House reverting to their control. I mean, What is the likelihood of that? Well, I mean, it's a possibility. I don't think that you're going to see Democrats kind of rush into this impeachment process the day after they kind of take any kind of control, because even still, you need a big number of people within the House to start those impeachment proceedings. I think it's something they may look at down the line. I think it might be something that they steered clear of talking about because they didn't want to stir any kind of pot. But there are other things that they can do. They're going to be chairing all of the big House committees. So you may find things like uh, investigations into Donald Trump's tax returns and force him to kind of uh, put them into the public 
with light, or you may find investigations into scandals that have been working throughout the government, or investigations potentially into something like Brett Kavanaugh reopening a background check into him. So there are potential ways for the Democrats to move forward without just using that impeachment word. Well, and this is the thing that we're interested here in Canada, because we know how much uh, everybody had gone through paroxysms trying to get a trade deal uh, after NAFTA was declared dead. And so we've got the USMCA. Could a Dem-led House of Representatives kill the USMCA, for better or worse? Well, they could, because this needs to go through Congress to have uh, kind of uh, T's crossed and I's dotted and commas put in. It's got to be put there. And it was supposed to be done for the end of November to allow the outgoing Mexican president uh, to be able to sign off on this and say, look at what we've got going forward. If the Democrats take control, there is a possibility that we could see that trade uh, agreement derailed. I don't know if it's in the best interest of Democrats to do that, because they may make some gains in states where trade is still a big deal and where trade is going to kind of help the Democrats go further if they can get this thing to move and they can get uh, bigger trade deals or this USMCA thing kind of working better throughout the country over two years. So there's a possibility for it, but I think they have other fish that they want to fry before they kind of go into ripping up deals that are currently in place. Yeah, and because this is about Trump, if the Dems do gain control of the House, uh, Trump has, you know, uh, I guess, put some political capital into uh, getting rid of Obamacare. So health care becomes an issue. The wall is another one. Uh, policies on immigration. All of these things would be dead on arrival, wouldn't they? It's very possible, yeah. I mean, the money for the wall, a lot of that's got to come from a congressional lift. They've got to be able to get the numbers around. Democrats in control of a House are likely not going to sit there and kind of coat through the couch cushions looking to find all the coins they can to build up this wall that the president's talking about. Democrats in the House as well are also going to make it more difficult for just any legislation to pass at all. So this is going to give some jitters to the White House right now. That's why the president uh, kind of stuck with the Senate's, uh, the senators while he was stumping for them over the last couple of months, knowing that Republicans will keep control of the Senate, knowing that the Senate down the line is what can keep things like judiciary uh, uh, or at least uh, judges stacked on the bench on the right side. So that's kind of where the president's been putting his focus to. Also, I mean, there's only 33 senators running or 435 House people running. So the president couldn't actually go and stump for all those people. Yeah, that's the interesting thing of the American system where you've got, I guess, six year terms in the Senate. And uh, so they rotate, I guess, a third every two years and then uh, all 435 in the House are uh, up on the ballot this time around. You know, there's a a school of thought also that says, as you just alluded, if uh, the Senate goes with Trump and maybe bolsters the numbers by a handful or so, uh, and he loses the House, it may not be uh, a total loss because it could leverage, or he could leverage that going into 2020. And you say what? I think that it's possible. I mean, uh, keeping the keeping the Senate in his hands, keeping the Senate in Republican control, while it may stall legislation, it gives the president another push to say, look, we've got a Senate in place right now that wants to do work for the country, that wants to work for the Republican base, and keeping the, the, the House in Democratic control for two years could just give some fi- uh, fuel for that fire that the president will use in 2020, saying, look, we kept the Senate, we kept everybody in place, the, uh, things didn't fall apart completely like they often do during a midterm. Uh, we can use this now to kind of re uh, you know, re-elect people across the Republicans and potentially across the House, rather, and potentially get a big, strong push going into 2020. So there are a lot of options for the president to look at this, whether he wants to kind of take uh, credit for keeping people in the Senate and just kind of absolve himself from any uh, failings when it comes to the House. But I guess we could say if the House were to revert to the Dems tomorrow, the Trump agenda for now at least is dead. 
It, it very well likely could be, uh, you know, unless we can get some kind of big bipartisan support and push between uh, the two branches there to to kind of work together. There, there's a good chance that the Democrats are going to just use their two years to stop and to block and to stall any kind of legislative process that the White House wants to put forward. That could backfire, though. There's a lot of people still that really like Trump and that really are uh, kind of entrenched into that Republican base. And you you don't want to do everything you can to alienate yourself from a potential 40 uh, percent, you know, cling to the vote. So the Democrats are going to have to wade their water, really tr- uh, tread their water kind of really lightly here, making sure that they don't alienate themselves from potential future votes. Yeah, that's the downside of obstructionism, because the economy is clipping along at an unprecedented pace. And if all of that is stalled in the tracks, uh, Trump could use that or that could redound against the Dems, uh, who would be seen as being responsible. Reggie Giacchini's on the line, the Washington Bureau producer with Global National. As to the midterms tomorrow, what are the uh, bellwether states to watch? I mean, and uh, these may be instructive because if it's going to be a plebiscite on Trump, uh, I hear Texas, Arizona, Florida. Uh, give us your sense. Well, when you're looking at states to watch, you're, you're wanting to look at the Senate races right now, just because there are so many uh, House races to be looking at. You know, for House races, you're looking right. at California, you're looking at suburban parts of Pennsylvania through Pittsburgh. But the Senate races are the big ones to watch, and that is Texas and that is Florida. Texas, you have Ted Cruz up against Beto O'Rourke. He is kind of the, the left-wing uh, 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 Democratic candidate that's running, you know, without taking any money from PACs. He's trying to do it all on his own, and he's actually gaining some good ground. He's still within kind of a, a plus or minus five statistics tie with Ted Cruz right now, but that's a big show as to what is going to potentially come down the road to the U.S. Everybody kind of looks at Texas as this, if Texas does it, the U.S. does it. Well, Texas is getting whiter, uh, is getting browner, rather. It's getting more diverse. It's getting more progressive. So we could actually see things move towards the Democrats, maybe not this time around, but through 2020. Same with Florida. We're looking at a potential win for uh, Andrew Gillum, the current uh, mayor of Tallahassee. He's trying to uh, you know, pick up that state for uh, the Democrats right now. Something to watch. There, We're also looking at potential races out in Nevada, out through Arizona, where we could see some big moves on both sides. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because 60 Minutes did a piece on uh, the Texas uh, bellwether yesterday. It was instructive in that sense. I didn't know Beto O'Rourke uh, used to be in a punk band back in the day, <laughs> so I guess the times have shifted. He's cleaned up his act. Well, I mean, you can see he's trying, he's trying to be one of the people out there, so right. they're trying to say it's a new progressive era, so, you know, we don't all have to be kind of button-down shirt and tie kind of guys. No, uh, not, and even though does uh, he does these days present himself that way. Well, listen, it's going to be interesting however it plays out, and uh, insofar as the implications for Canada, uh, no way of telling if this is going to help us in terms of trade or it could you know be a setback of sorts uh if the economy sort of sputters uh that will not necessarily argue well uh all of this and more to be deconstructed in the aftermath and so we'll talk at that point reggie i appreciate your time this afternoon good luck thank you john okay reggie Cicchini, washington bureau producer with global national on this whole matter